The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be reading through verses 1 through 17 again today, and then we're going to be looking at the book of Ruth from the Old Testament. If you have your YouVersion Bible app, you can just go right to that app, and this whole service is lined out uh, right for you, and I would encourage you to use that if you don't have a Bible. Uh, We will be putting our verses on the screen today, as we've been doing over the past month or so, to make it easier for you to follow along. Um, Over the past several weeks, we've been talking about this series, uh, Significant. We've been talking about the people in the genealogy of Jesus who have significance because of their relationship with God. First week, we talked about Tamar in Genesis chapter 38. We talked about how she led this scandalous life and she did things that were scandalous and she received scandalous grace. I think sometimes we have the idea that because of what we've done in our lives, God cannot possibly forgive us. And what I would encourage you to do is to read Genesis 38, and then let's have a conversation about whether or not you still believe that. Last week, we talked about Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute in the city of Jericho who demonstrated great faith in the God of the Hebrew people. She had only heard about this God, but she proclaimed the truth about this God, and then she acted And because of her proclamation through her words and her proclamation through her actions, she was invited in to God's people. Those are just two of the people that are in the genealogy of Jesus. And today we're going to talk about Ruth. So let's go ahead. Let's read Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus The Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amminadab. Amminadab was the father of Nishan. Nishan was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. I'm wondering if you are seeing these connections yet. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abihah. Abihah was the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Jehoram. Jehoram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham was the father of Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Ammon. Ammon was the father of Josiah. Josiah was the father of Jehoiachin and his brothers, born at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the Babylonian exile, Jehoiachin was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. 
Zerubbabel was the father of Abayud. Abayud was the father of Eliakim. Eliakim was the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok. Zadok was the father of Akim. Akim was the father of Eliud. Eliud was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar was the father of Methan. Methan was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband to Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. All those listed above include 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. Today we're going to be reading through the story of Ruth. We're going to be talking about Ruth in the Old Testament. We're not going to read all of the text, but we're going to read a lot of it this morning. Here's Here's the context for the book of Ruth, and it says it in the very first verse. It says, when the judges ruled. So this time in history is when the judges ruled. And if you want to know what that was like, you should go back a book later today, and you should read through the book of Judges. Judges is exactly what happens when everyone does what is right in his or her own eyes. See, we have fooled ourselves in 2020, to think that if we just had freedom to do whatever we wanted, everything would be great. We have defined, we have defined the great life as being able to do whatever we want, as doing whatever we think is right. And the book of Judges begs to differ with you, especially the last three chapters. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible, in fact. And next summer, we're going to be going through the book of Judges because we need to be reminded of what happens when everyone gets their way. Not just when some people get their way, but what happens when everyone gets their way. So this book is taking place. It's, it's contextualized. It's seated in the story of the Bible during the time when the judges reigned. And there's a famine that takes place during this time. And there's a Jewish man named Elimelech, and he and his wife Naomi, because of this famine, they leave Jerusalem, or they leave, yeah, they leave, and they go to a city named Moab. Naomi, by the way, her, her name means pleasant and sweet, and that will come up here in a few minutes. So they leave to flee this famine, and while they're there, they have two sons, Mahlon and Chilion, and each marry Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. All of the men die. Naomi's husband passes away. Her two sons pass away. And there is Naomi with her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. Now, some of this story ought to sound familiar to you. If you were here a few weeks ago when we read through the story of Tamar in Genesis chapter 38, there are so many connections, and this would be a seven-hour-long message if that's what we talked about today. There are so many connections between what we've already read and what's happening in this story. So Naomi decides to return home. And she says to her daughters-in-law, you should just stay here. You should find husbands because I will never have another son. 
And even if I did had a son right now, are you going to wait until he is of the age to marry? She has two daughters-in-law. One of them, Orpah, agrees. She says, you know what? I'm going to stay in Moab. But Ruth refuses to leave her mother-in-law. She demonstrates loyalty, which is a characteristic that we're going to see throughout this story today. Let's look at Ruth chapter 1, verses nine, beginning at verse 19. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The woman asked. Don't call me Naomi. She responded, don't call me sweet. Don't call me pleasant. Instead, call me Mara. For the Almighty has made life very busy, very bitter for me. See, the word Mara means bitter. Don't call me pleasant. Don't call me sweet. Call me bitter. I went away full. I had a husband, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi? Why call me pleasant? Why call me sweet when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? I wonder if any of you can identify with this character today. Wondering where God is in the midst of our hardships. Why would God take these things from me? So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. And there in that last verse, is the slightest bit of hope. The smallest piece of something worth clinging to. Because apparently the famine is over. When they left years and years and years earlier, they were in the midst of a famine. But something's happened. Something has changed. And she's home and this barley harvest is taking place right on time. If we were to look at Ruth chapter two, we would see the introduction of a character by the name of Boaz. A few minutes ago, when we read through Matthew chapter one, I said that Boaz was the son of Rahab. Rahab was the prostitute we talked about last week. Her and her husband, Salmon, had a son and his name was Boaz. He was also a relative of Elimelech, Naomi's ex-husband. And again, this is, this is where all of our stories that we've been talking about over the last several weeks, this is where they begin to merge together. This is where they sound very similar in situation. Boaz is someone who's wealthy and influential. But he's not just wealthy and influential, he's kind. He's someone who looks out for the good of other people. And according to the customs that the Hebrews taught his mother, because remember, his mother, Rahab, was not a Hebrew. Salmon was the Hebrew. And according to the customs that they had taught his mother and that she passed on to him, the custom was during the harvest, when crops fell out of the hands of the harvesters, 
or crops were left on the sides. They were left there for people who were poor, who were marginalized, who were widows and orphans. So imagine that in one generation, one generation, Rahab went from prostitute to a son who is wealthy, influential, and kind, and completely understands his role as a person of God, to leave the crops available for the marginalized person. And what Boaz does next is actually beyond the letter of the law. He goes above and beyond the letter of the law. He protects her and he provides food for her. And she takes this home, this food home to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Let's read Ruth chapter two, verses 18 through 23. She carried it back into town and showed her mother-in-law. Ruth also gave her the roasted grain that was left over after her meal. Where did you gather all this grain today? Naomi asked. Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose field she had worked. She said, the man I worked with today is named Boaz. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her mother-in-law. He is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. See, this is one of those moments where if this were a web page, there would be a hyperlink on it and we would click to it and it would remind us of what was happening with Tamar and Judah. Compare Judah and and. And Boaz for a moment. Compare these two stories. What did Judah do when he was faced with a similar situation? He withheld from his daughter-in-law. And here we have Boaz doing the exact opposite. Then Ruth said, what's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the entire harvest is complete. Good, Naomi exclaimed, do as he says, my daughter. Stay with his young women right through the whole harvest. You might be harassed in other fields, but you will be safe with him. So Ruth walked, worked alongside the women in Boaz's fields and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. Then she continued working with them through the wheat harvest in early summer. And all the while she lived with her mother-in-law, See, Boaz is not just a close relative of this family. He's something called a family redeemer. And this is, this is one of those instances where we read this in the Bible and we just have no idea what it's talking about. We have nothing that sounds anything like our reality. And I wanna point out to you that he's not just a redeemer. He's not just their family redeemer, but he's a redeemer from Bethlehem. And I wonder if any of you are making the connection to Jesus as our redeemer from Bethlehem. See, this entire story is placed in the Bible for a reason, to draw our eyes to the person of Jesus Christ. Remember Tamar? She also had 
a redeemer. She, her first husband passed away and then her second husband was his brother. He refused to do his duty. And then the third brother, Judah refused to give her to Tamar. Do you see how opposite Boaz is to Judah's example in this situation? Well, this redeemer was, was, was a near blood relative and they were always a male. I know it's 2020, that's offensive, but that's what reality was then. The redeemer was always a male and he was duty bound to protect the other relatives. So in a situation like this, when Naomi's husband died and her sons died, someone was supposed to take care of her and it was this redeemer. This kinsman redeemer, maybe what your Bible translation has to say. And they were to buy back the land. They were to buy back the property and even the people if their situation needed it. See, they had a responsibility to care for one another in their family. They were bound by this. And again, I want to point out to you, this is one generation Can you imagine what the discipleship must have been like in the home of Rahab and passing along the faith to her child? Parents, I know that your your role and your responsibility sounds impossible, but it's not. It requires work. It requires effort. It requires faithfulness. But it's not impossible. It's not impossible. And here's a person who has has taken on all of this responsibility that is not in his family's history. So Naomi, if you read through the story, again, I would encourage you to read through the book of Ruth later today. Naomi tells Ruth to present herself to Boaz. Now, there's parts of this story when you read this, this is going to sound like sort of like a PG-13 soap opera. Almost rated R soap opera. Boaz is laying down at night and Ruth is supposed to go and lay next to him and be at his feet. And it's just like this really weird scene. But here's, here's the thing. Ruth is not Tamar. Ruth, there's nothing sexual, there's nothing, there's nothing wicked about what she is doing. Instead, what we're doing is we're seeing a person who is coming to be before her redeemer and ask for mercy and ask for grace. This is a sign of loyalty and this loyalty has marked Ruth throughout this entire story. She was loyal to God. She was loyal to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And now she is demonstrating by her action, she's demonstrating her loyalty to Boaz as the person who is going to deliver her, as the person who is going to redeem her. Let's read chapter three, verse 18. So she does this. She presents herself to Boaz. She goes home and tells her mother-in-law, Naomi, and Naomi said to her, just be patient until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. I want you to think about that phrase, 
just be patient for a moment. Think about this year. Just be patient. Just be patient. How do you respond when someone tells you to just be patient? How do you respond in the midst of your situation and circumstance and hardship and reality when someone says, just be patient? Well, that's pretty much a near impossibility for us, isn't it? To just be patient, to just wait. See, in our culture, and it was really no different back then, we want to do something. We want to take action. What do you mean be patient? What do you mean wait? I should be doing something. I think when we find ourselves in similar situations to this, where we're facing hardship and we're facing a reality, we want to demonstrate, we want to demonstrate the Western ethic of resilience, resolve, and strength. We want to look at ourselves and we want to tell ourselves that we need to be resilient through this time. We need to, we need to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We need to grit our teeth and just get through this time. And we'll come out better on the other end. We need to demonstrate resolve. Wake up every morning five minutes earlier and go to work harder than I did yesterday. Like that's how we, that's how we want to do things. That's the, that's the Western ethic. And when we do that, our culture celebrates that. Our culture says, great job. You are resilient. You are filled with resolve and you are filled with strength. But what was Naomi's advice? It was wait. It was be patient. The Redeemer, the Redeemer knows what he's doing. And I wonder what that would be like for you as, as we're coming up on the tail end of, you know, it's been a relentless year. We all know that. Do you believe that the Redeemer knows what he's doing? Do you trust that the Redeemer actually has this under control? Does your life demonstrate that? Or are you just trying to figure out what you need to do to get out of your current situation? And I want to tell you, this isn't a call for passivity, right? So we don't just, this isn't just, I'm just going to sit back and I'm going to do nothing. No, I'm going to trust. I'm going to, I'm going to act upon what I know. I'm going to live my life in the way that God has called me to live. Because each and every one of us in the room whether we're a Christian or not, whether we are a mature Christian or an immature Christian. Each one of us has a level of knowing what we ought to do in situations that bring God honor. And maybe as an immature Christian, your level isn't as much as someone who is more mature than you. But what we're supposed to do, what Paul says 
in his writings is we are supposed to live up to the measure that we have. And patience is kind of a minimum for the Christian. Waiting is kind of the minimum for a Christian because it's a fruit of the spirit. And if you're a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit who dwells with inside you, you also have the fruit of the spirit that lives within you. And I know that patience is hard. It's hard for all of us. And I said this a few weeks ago. That's why we need to deliberately place ourselves in situations where we have to be patient. Take the long way home every once in a while. When you see the train coming down the track and it's going the way that you would normally go a different way, just go that way. Be patient. See, God is at work. And I think one of the things that we are most challenged with is we refuse to allow God to work through our circumstances. What Naomi says is, just be patient until we hear what happens. He's not going to rest until he has things settled today. So the Redeemer knows what he is doing. And one of the things that I would, I would hope that you would hear in this today is that the Redeemer, Jesus, knows what he's doing. He has your situation under control. And I know it doesn't seem like that. But he does. Let's read the last chapter together. And again, I want, you to, I want you to listen for kind of these hyperlinks to the story of Tamar. Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. Just then the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. So here's, so I'm gonna back out of this for a second. Here's the part I didn't cover. There was actually someone else that was in line to be the redeemer before Boaz. Okay, so Boaz was one of the family redeemers and there was someone who was like one step closer. And what Boaz had to do before he just went and redeemed Naomi and redeemed her property, he had to go and talk to this other person to make sure that the other person didn't want to do his job. Sound familiar? Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. Just then the family redeemer he had mentioned came by, so Boaz called out to him. Come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called 10 leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, you know Naomi who came back from Moab. She's selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want to buy the land, if you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. The man replied, all right, I'll redeem it. Now, this is one of those moments where it sounds like our plans are about to fail. This is one of those times where we start to get nervous, right? Things don't look like they're going to go our way. So we dip into that resolve and that self-reliance and that self-strength. But just wait. Then Boaz told him, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. 
That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. Then I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land, I can't do it. Now, in those days, it was the custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. So the next time you buy something, this is how you should do it. Just take off your shoe and give it to them. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal as he said to Boaz, you buy the land. Then Boaz said to the elders and the crowd standing around, you are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Mahlon. And with the land, I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Mahlon, to be my wife. This way, she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. Then the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, we are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, for whom the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Epaphratha and be famous in Bethlehem. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of... Tamar and Judah. So Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant and she gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel, may he restore your youth and care for you in your old age, for he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled her, him to her breast, and as she cared, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor woman said, "Now at last, Naomi has a son again." And they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. Which makes Ruth David's great-grandmother. King David's great-grandmother. This is the genealogical record of their ancestor Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amminadab. Does this sound familiar? Amminadab was the father of Nishan. Nishan was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. Two things that I want you to know from this text. When Boaz redeemed Naomi and her land, he got everything. I want you to notice that he told the other redeemer, when you, like, I know you want this land, but here's all of the other things that you are going to get with that land. Did you notice the shrewd way that Boaz told that story? You're gonna buy the land, oh, by the way, and you're gonna have to marry this Moabite woman. 
See, Boaz knew what he was buying. And I want you, I want you to know that when Jesus paid for your life on the cross, the Redeemer knew what he was buying. He knew what he was buying. He knew that when he purchased your life with his blood, he knew all of the scandalous sins in your life. He knew. And he didn't let it stop him from purchasing your life. There was no second thought. Oh, I don't know. Do I really want to buy John Mahal in the third? I mean, that kid's had that rat tail for 15 years. <laughs> See, that's not, that's not what Jesus did. When Jesus bought you, he knew what he was getting. He's not surprised by your sin. He's bothered by it. And he's offended by it. But he saved you from it. He knew what he was buying. And, and here's the second thing that I want you to know. This story that we read, this Bible, it's not a random set of circumstances. It's not a random set of circumstances. It's not happenstance. This was God's plan from the beginning. God knew what he was going to do from the very beginning. And he, and he orchestrated these things to take place in a certain way, in a specific time. And some of you right now are facing what seem like impossible circumstances. Some of you are facing what seem like impossible hardships that you are never, ever, ever going to get through. And my hunch is that's exactly how Naomi felt. And it's exactly how Ruth felt. And it's exactly how so many people in that lineage of Jesus in Matthew chapter one, they felt the exact same way. See, we know the end of the story, right? We can read Ruth chapter one and we can, we can go back a couple pages and we can see how the story is gonna end up. It's so easy to do with people in the past. And for us, we get caught up in the immediacy of our stories. And we get concerned and we get worried and we're filled with anxiety about how those stories are gonna work out. And as we've talked about so many times over the past several years, like the purpose of scripture is to encourage us and remind us of God's faithfulness over and over and over and over again. And we read these stories and we think, man, God is so faithful. God is so faithful. And then like whatever, we go home and like whatever thing happens to us, we immediately forget about God's faithfulness. Read your Bible. 
See the stories of God's faithfulness. Trust. Trust in the reality of a savior, savior from Bethlehem who knows what he's doing. I'm gonna ask the music team to come back up to the front. I want you to know that God knows what he's doing in your life. What you've done, what you're doing now, and what you're going to do tomorrow doesn't catch him off guard. And what I want is for you to find comfort in that. I want you to find peace in that. I want you to find trust and hope that God knows what is happening in your life. None of these people knew where their story was gonna go. But what they did was they lived in trust. They didn't just proclaim the truth of who God was. They lived the truth of God with their lives. They entered into this relationship. They trusted that God had purchased them. And if we were to go back to that text in Matthew, again, we're gonna see Jesus's name at the end of that genealogy. Jesus is the end. He points to another genealogy. We talked about this in Revelation, the book of life. Another list of names. And what I love is like the Bible, the book of Ruth ends with a marriage and it ends with what I imagine to be people feasting together, which is just how the Bible ends. The Bible is our God story and it is for us. And I hope and I pray that you will find and you will see your significance in God's story because of what Jesus has done for you. Let's pray. God, we lift up your son Jesus today. We lift up the name of the Redeemer from Bethlehem. because of the way he has saved us, because of the way you have saved us through him. God, there are lots of ways that we might find significance in our world. Help us to see that our true significance comes because of your son, Jesus. For those who are enduring hardship, I pray that they would, that they would wait that they would not through resilience, resolve, and self-strength work their way out of this problem, but they would trust in you. And that you would reveal yourself to them in such a powerful way that all they can do is praise the name of your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.